Let's get into the sermon. I'm going to pray for us, and then we will get into the sermon for today. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the chance to gather as your people. Lord, this season is hurried, and many of us are hurting. Thankfully, we gather to fix our eyes on you, Christ, the one who meets us in our hurry and exchanges it for rest, the one who meets us in our hurts and comes to heal. So, Lord, I pray that you would Meet each one of us where we're at this morning, some of us in the lowest of lows, the deepest of valleys. Some of us are on the mountaintop, everything is going well, and and some of us are just somewhere in between, living the mundane day-to-day life, not really sure. Lord, would you meet each one of us where we're at this morning and lead us to where you desire us to be in your presence, where there are pleasures forevermore and fullness of joy. We ask these things in the strong, precious, powerful, sufficient name of Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ. Amen. Well, this Advent season, we are approaching the birth of Jesus in the same way that Matthew does, the book of Matthew, by looking at Jesus' ancestors. The genealogy in Matthew chapter 1, and we're not really studying deep the genealogy of Matthew chapter 1, but we're using that as a launching pad to talk about the people in Jesus' genealogy, his lineage. This reminds us that the Christmas story, that the the birth of Jesus isn't a fairy tale. It doesn't start with some phrase like, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, or once upon a time. No, the birth of Christ is rooted in historic events, people, and places. Matthew chapter 1, This oftentimes we skip over these genealogies, right? Because we're like, we can't pronounce half of these names and we don't know why it's here. But I want to remind us that having that there roots the birth of Christ. It roots Christmas for us in history, in real people, real places. In fact, there's 48 people listed in Matthew chapter 1. 48 people listed in Matthew chapter 1, and five of them are women, Hence the sermon title, The Mothers of Jesus. We're tracing Jesus' lineage, and specifically we're looking at the women included in his lineage, saying, saying, how did they get in there? Because throughout history and in this culture, you normally wouldn't put a woman into the lineage, into the line of a king. This was passed down through the father, through the king, through the men. And so why are these five women in here? That's what we're looking at and what we're learning from. Pastor Mark taught on Tamar last week. Great job. Thank you, Mark, for bringing us God's truth through the story of Tamar. Today we're going to look at Rahab. Rahab is the second lady listed in Matthew chapter 1 in Jesus' lineage. And so Rahab, what we're going to learn as we look at Rahab is that in times of fear we must live by faith. Turn with me to Joshua chapter 2. That's where the story of Rahab is. And so for your context, we're jumping from Matthew chapter 1 in Jesus' lineage where Rahab is mentioned. And we're going back to Joshua chapter 2 to look at Rahab in context and to learn why this woman is included in the lineage of Jesus. Joshua chapter 2 will teach that. And again, as we look at Joshua chapter 2, we will see that in times of fear, we must live by faith. As you flip to Joshua chapter 2, let me set the scene for you a little bit here. God's people, Israel, they have been wandering the wilderness for 40 years. 
God has just been leading them around in circles. He's promised them this land. It is a great land, a land flowing with milk and honey, a land where, where they can set up shop, where they can have a city, where they can have a temple, where they can have walls, where, where all things are flowing freely. And it's this glorious land that God has promised them, but they've been wandering for 40 years. God's been teaching them. He's been disciplining them. He's waiting until the older generation dies off because they were complaining and doubting God. And so he said, once they all pass away, then I will lead this new generation into the promised land. And so now Moses has handed leadership over to Joshua, the the new leader who's going to lead Israel into the promised land. And so Joshua chapter 1 is filled with God reminding Joshua, the leader, to be strong and courageous. Joshua is about to do something he's never done before. He's about to step into this level of leadership that he's never led at before. And by nature, he has fear. It's like giving announcements for the first time, right? All this fear. What do you need to do, Kathy, when you give announcements in fear? Have faith. You did great. I think she's probably gone. <laughs> um, but Joshua is stepping into this, and God is calling him to be strong and courageous. And then we pick it up in Joshua chapter 2. Could you stand as I read Joshua chapter 2? I'm going to do verses 1 through 14 for this morning. Joshua chapter 2, starting in verse 1. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go, view the land, especially Jericho. And when they Came and when they went and came into the house of the prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of the flax that that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords. And the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and she said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all of the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the waters of the Red Sea before when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Shion and to Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted. And there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is the God of the heavens above and the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and my mother, my brothers and my sisters and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, Our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. God, may you cause this word to come alive to us today to instruct us for all life and godliness. In your name we pray. Amen. You may have a seat. So so there's the scene. Again, the big idea that I want us to see in the life of Rahab, in the story of Rahab, is that in times of 
fear, we must live by faith. Can you imagine all of the fear swirling around in this situation, in this circumstance? For the spies, yes, if you've ever like pretended to be a spy or if you've ever played like paintball or um, capture the flag, you know how your heart gets racing when you're like sneaking around the woods looking for your friends or trying to avoid the enemy. But this is real. This is real life. These spies are into this, this enemy territory. And Rahab, can you imagine the fear that she's feeling? This vulnerable prostitute. And when it uses the word prostitute there, it means that she likely, she, she oversaw this inn, this place where travelers were, would come from. And yes, they would trade sex at these inns. And she was most likely a sex slave. It's not something that she necessarily chose. She probably came from a poor family and she got trapped in this life of being taken advantage of and being abused. And so here is Rahab doing her job and these spies come looking for a place to stay. They weren't necessarily there looking to get some. They were there because that's where you would go to stay and that's where they could blend in. If you were a spy going to a, to a city, not wanting to be found out as a spy for Yahweh, the Lord God, the people of Israel, where would you go? To the dungiest place you could possibly find. So that no one would think that you are a worshiper of Yahweh, the one true God who, who prohibits prostitution. And so they go to this place. And so can you imagine the fear of Rahab? Somehow she knew who these men were. She knew that they were spies from Israel coming to scope out her land. So she's got all of this intense fear. I, I would imagine the spies have some kind of mixture of adrenaline and fear. Joshua, the leader of Israel, he had been fearful and God had called out to him, be strong and courageous, O Joshua. So this whole scene is set with circumstances that ought to cause fear, that, that would cause fear. And Rahab is the one that we want to focus on this morning. And so Rahab is there, and, and she's figuring out what to do. This is a vulnerable situation for Rahab. Does she, does she let the Israelite spies in? Does she help them? She's heard the story about this great God, Yahweh, the God of the Israelites, the God of the Jews, and how he overpowers other nations and other gods. So does she align with him and fear him, or does she align with, with her city, with Jericho, with her king, with her pagan gods, and she's caught in the middle, and for some reason she decides to side with Israel, to align with Yahweh. But it's in the midst of this fear that her faith is exercised. As we look at this story, I think we see four roots to faith and two fruits from faith. Four roots of faith and two fruits from faith. And so the root, it's, it's the thing that, that produces the fruit. And so the four fruits that I see, the first one here is that Rahab remembers what God has done. If you're in a season of fear and you're wondering how to get through that season of fear, that season of trial, that season of question, like you don't know which way to go, you don't know what to cling to, just like Rahab was, here's what you ought to do. You live your life by faith in a season of fear. And what does that look like? You need to develop roots of faith. We see here that Rahab has these growing roots to her faith. Look at verse 10. So the, the spies come. She hides them. The word from her king gets to her. She lies. We'll talk about that in a little bit. She says, I don't know these men. I don't know where they went. They ran off. She's hiding these spies all along. And why? Why is she hiding them? Let's actually pick it up again in verse 8. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to them, 
Men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us. We don't know how she knows that God was going to overthrow Jericho and give that land to the Israelites. Somehow she knew. She just must have sensed it. And and she kind of tells us how she sees it here. And that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. So Jericho, the people of the city, are living in fear of the Israelites. Why? Because, verse 10, For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the kings of the Amorites and who were beyond the Jordan, to Shion and to Og, how you devoted, how, whom you devoted to destruction. See, a root of faith is remembering what God has done. When you're in a season of fear, to live by faith means you need to look back and to remember God's strength, remember God's power, remember what he has done in different seasons of your life. That's what Rahab does. This is the the beginning of her faith. The first root of her faith is to look back and say, I've heard the stories. I heard what your God did. I heard how he parted the Red Sea so that you could walk through on dry ground. My pagan little God has never done anything like that. We heard how when, when enemies, when other nations, when pagan nations came up against God's people, up against Israel, he wiped them out. So there's, there's this, this fear, this growing fear of Yahweh, the one true God in Rahab, but this root of faith where she's hearing these stories about who God is, what God has done, how he has worked, and she's starting to shift her allegiance. She's noticing that there's something about Yahweh, the God of Israel, that doesn't compare to the other gods of the world, the other religions of the world, the other practices of the world. I've heard, verse 10, I've heard how your Lord, and when it's all capital, three, uh, four capital words like that, L-O-R-D, that means it's his name, Yahweh. I've heard how Yahweh, the one who, who came to Moses in a burning bush and said, I am that I am. I've heard how he is powerful, how he parts the season. So church, when you're in a season of fear, when you're in a season of distress, when you're in a season of questions, what's the first root of faith that we see here in Rahab that you ought to apply to your life? It's to remember what God has done. Remember how he's delivered you from past experiences, past circumstances, past trials. My wife, Brittany, has this practice of in the back of her Bible, she writes down all the ways that God shows up and does miraculous things in our life, and there's been many. Because we walk through seasons where where fear comes and trial comes, and we're stuck in the midst of that season, and we think, will God ever be gracious again? Will God ever be faithful again? Will God ever deliver us again? Will God ever cause this season of suffering, this circumstance of fear to pass? And then we go back and we look at all the things that we've written out. Yeah, in In September of 2007, God showed up in this way. In April of 2009, God showed up in this way, and we have those written out. So church, when we're in a season of fear, one of the first things that we do, the the root to our faith is to remember what God has done. Root number two, the next thing that Rahab does is she proclaims who God is. So we see in verse 10, she remembers what God has done. And then as we move into verse 11, she proclaims the truth of who God is. Look at verse 11 with me. It says, and as soon as we heard it, she's again speaking about the people of Jericho. 
As soon as we've heard these stories, as soon as I was reminded about your God, Yahweh, what he has done, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. And so she's saying, your God is more powerful than our God's. I, I remember, I recall what your God has done. And now look at this shift. It's not just that your God did this, and I clearly see that he's more powerful than my pagan God. It's, it's, it's a proclamation of the truth of who God really is. She says, for the Lord, for Yahweh, your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. This is amazing for a Gentile pagan from Jericho, a prostitute who her, her life was filled with being taken advantage of. Her, 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 her culture had all these different gods that they worshipped. This was a pagan nation, a pagan culture. And oftentimes there's these, these temple worship involving prostitution. And so she's just as abused, as used, as dysfunctional as you could imagine. And here, she is proclaiming the truth of who God is. For the Lord your God, Yahweh, the one true God of the Israelites, he is God of the heavens above and the earth beneath. In the midst of her fear, in the midst of her questions, in the midst of her unknown future, she proclaims who God is. Church, this is what we must do in season of, seasons of fear, seasons when we don't know what the future holds, seasons when we don't know how we're going to get through the present circumstance. And Rahab's stuck in this moment, this, this prostitute innkeeper in Jericho with these Israelite spies and the king asking her if she knows about the spies. Can you imagine? She's stuck between a rock and a hard place, filled with fear, not knowing what to do, and in the midst of that unknown circumstance with an unknown future, she doesn't know what's going to happen, she proclaims who God is. Church, when we're in seasons of fear, when we're in seasons of doubt, when we're in seasons of an unknown future, what do we do? We, we have to grow roots of faith. We have to remember what God has done in the past, and we have to proclaim the truth of who he is, even when you don't necessarily feel like it. And doesn't this happen to us often when, when we know things about God? We know what we have been taught. We know certain things about what the Bible says, but we don't necessarily feel it. Well, in, in those moments, I think we are to express our frustration, to express our doubts, to express our questions. But simultaneously with that, we proclaim the truth that we know. We proclaim who God is. See, the, the Christian life is this big tension between what we know and what we experience and trying to work that out somewhere in the middle. Rahab, in the midst of her fear, she proclaims, for the Lord your God, Yahweh, he is God. He is the one true God. There's, there's all these other forces, there's all these other spirits, these all, there, all these other thoughts of the day, but Yahweh, the God of Israel, he is the God of heaven above and earth beneath. And so church, when you're in a season of fear, proclaim the truth. That's why I love gathering to sing. That's why I love how Ben and our worship team so intentionally picks songs that proclaim the truth of who God is. Because oftentimes I, I live my life throughout the week doubting, questioning, struggling, living in fear. Sometimes I get up to preach in fear because I'm like, there's a bunch of people staring at me and what am I supposed to say? And so I gather and I proclaim the truth of who God is. In the midst of fear, in times of fear, 
We must live by faith. How do we live by faith? We remember God's faithfulness, what he's done, and we proclaim the truth of who he is in spite of how we're feeling and experiencing that truth in the moment. The third root of faith that we see in Rahab is that she aligns with God's people and God's plan. Now, this is the entire context of the book of Joshua too. so I don't have a specific verse to go to for this one, but it's the entire story here. I've already talked about it, who Rahab was, the pagan gods that her people worshipped, the setting that she was in, but we see this extreme shift in Rahab where she now aligns with God's people. She, 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 she aligns with Israel over the people of Jericho. She commits treason. She hides the spies. She lies to her king. She endangers her family. And can, can you imagine it? It's like turning your back on your culture, everyone you knew, everything that you've believed, and swapping all of that for this new religion, for this new God, for these new people who are outside of your norm. That's what Rahab does. And then she aligns with God's plan. She doesn't know how this is all going to unfold. She doesn't know the crazy story that's about to come in, in Joshua chapter 6 where God tells the Israelites to march around the city of Jericho blowing trumpets and shouting, and eventually the city walls are going to fall down. She doesn't know that. She doesn't know how this is going to go. In her fear, she knows that Yahweh, the one true God, is a God more powerful than her gods, and so she's aligning with him. She's getting on the right side, right? She's like, I I know the stories of your God. My gods don't do that, and so I'm going to align with you and with your God and she's trusting God's plan. She doesn't know his plan. She doesn't know how this is going to work out. She doesn't know if the king of Jericho is going to have her executed for committing treason. She doesn't know if these Israelite spies are going to make good on their word. I mean, she hides them, sends them on their way, and they promise her that when we come and when we take over your city, she asks them, she says, will, will you spare my life and my family's? And, and they They agree to do that. She doesn't know if they're going to uphold that promise. Remember the setting. This is a spy and a prostitute, a pagan city, God's people. She doesn't know what's going to happen, but she aligns with God's people and with God's plan. That's a a root to our faith. Church, when, when times cause us to fear, continue to stay committed to and united to and aligned with God's people. And God's plan. And when we don't know his plan, continue to trust. That's what faith is. It's trusting that God knows what he's doing in spite of our questions. And then the last root of faith that we see here is waiting on the Lord. And this is what happens for the next couple chapters. The fourth root to our faith is to wait on the Lord. Again, all capital, Yahweh. When times cause us to fear when times are out of our control, when, when we can't predict the future or know the future, and when we are in the moment struggling to see God's plan, we're called to wait on the Lord. This is what Rahab does. She recalls and remembers what God had done. She proclaims the truth of who God is. She aligns herself with God's people and God's plan, and then she waits. She waits. She sends the spies on their way. What's next for Rahab? 
She doesn't know. Maybe the king of Jericho is going to find out that she lied and have her executed. Maybe, maybe Israel is going to continue to wander for 40 years. She doesn't, she doesn't know that the time has changed where God's going to now lead them by Joshua into Jericho. I mean, she must sense it. They're getting close. There's spies here scoping out the land, but, but she doesn't know. She sends the spies on their way, and she waits. She waits. By my calculations, it's probably about three weeks before the Israelites come and start marching around the city. And so she didn't have to wait for all that long, Right? But can you imagine the fear of sending these spies back on their way not knowing what's going to happen to you and your family? She just had to sit and wait for the Lord. And church, this is how we get through times of fear and suffering and doubt and pain. Sometimes we just have to wait. I mean, there's this verse that says, those who wait on the Lord are renewed. He will raise them up on eagles' wings, right? And we usually think that waiting consists of how long it takes to read that verse. Like, I waited. I read the word wait, I paused for a second, I calmed my soul, I waited, and now, God, I'm ready for you to renew me. Let's move on. Let's get to the next season. Let's get through this time of trial. Let's get through these fears. Let's get through this unlikely circumstance. I've waited on you. I went to church this morning, and I spent an hour worshiping you. Let's go. I'm ready for the new season. And Rahab had to continually wait. Remember, the Israelites had to wait for 40 years. They were marching around the wilderness God causing them to wait. Church, when we're in seasons of fear, in times where where our soul is afraid of what has happened, what is happening, and what might happen, cling to the Lord and wait. Have you been there? Where you just want to get out of it? You just want to move on? You just want a better day? We see over and over again in the scriptures that God says, wait on me. Wait on me. I will show up. I am actually present. Maybe I'm silent at the moment. Maybe I'm not, maybe your allegiance to me, you're aligning with my people and my plan. Maybe my plan is contradicting your plan right now, but just wait. In time, things will make more sense, at least maybe in the next life. Continue to wait, church, to wait and press into me. Those are the four roots of faith. And in the story of Rahab, we see that these four roots produce two fruits. There's two fruits in Rahab, why she's included in the lineage of Jesus. And those fruits are salvation and inclusion. It's amazing to see how Rahab shifts. She, she in this time of extreme fear, she remembers what God has done. She proclaims who God is. She aligns with God's people and God's plan. She waits on the Lord, and she's rewarded for that with salvation and inclusion. Rahab, this pagan prostitute from the city of Jericho, is now a a mother of Jesus, really a grandmother, grandmother, you know, like many great-grandmothers. She's in the lineage of Jesus. Look at Joshua chapter 6, verse 25 with me. And so approximately three weeks later, the Israelites surround the city of Jericho. The walls fall down. They overtake the city. And look at Joshua 6, 25. But Rahab, the prostitute, and her father's household and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive. And she has lived in Israel to this day because she hid the spies whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. 
See, God spared Rahab's life and her entire family. The fruit of her faith was the salvation of her soul and her family. There was, there was this physical salvation. God preserved her life. But also, even more importantly, there's this eternal salvation. Inclusion in the family of God. She's mentioned in Matthew chapter 1, verse 5, as a mother of Jesus. She's in the line of Jesus, the Savior of the world. Hebrews 11, 31 mentions her in her faith. And James chapter 2, verse 25 mentions her. The king of Jericho, he's nowhere to be seen. Think, think about that city. Rahab the prostitute, the poor pagan prostitute, and the king of Jericho. If any of them is going to have a legacy that lives on past them and thousands of years later, you would think it would be the king of Jericho. We never hear of him again. We have no idea who he is. But Rahab? Rahab, the one who in the midst of fear lived by faith, God saves and includes. The church, the same is true for you and I. In seasons of fear, we must live by faith. We must trust God and, and walk with him even though we don't know what the pathway holds. Cling to Jesus. And so church, I want to invite you to come now to the table in faith. Every week at Park Community Church, we, we take communion to remind us that we live by faith, that life is filled with many fears. But in our fears, we want to continually come to Christ in faith, whatever you're going through today. If you're walking through a season of fear, frustration, and hurt, come to the table in the midst of that. Come to the table remembering what God has done, singing songs that proclaim the truth of who God is, and the other two, aligning with his people and his plan, and waiting. And as we do that, we are rewarded. The fruit of that is our salvation and our inclusion. God has included us in his great family. And so church, come to the table. Come to the table in faith this morning, celebrating your salvation and your inclusion. Let me pray. Jesus, we thank you for who you are, that you have made it possible for us to be saved and for us to be included. Lord, we thank you for redeeming the life of Rahab, for including this pagan prostitute in the lineage of Jesus, this woman used by you to teach us what faith looks like. And so, God, I pray even now as we sing and as we take communion that we would remember what you have done, that we would proclaim who you are, that we would continually choose to align ourselves with your people and your plan, and that we would wait. Wait on you. And God, we thank you for the fruit of our faith that is salvation and inclusion, the gift, the free gift that comes from Christ. Nourish us now, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen.